All right, everybody, thanks for joining us today. My name is Blaine, and welcome to Tape Heads. And my name is Todd. Welcome to Tape Heads. So, last episode, we did my top 10 favorite artists and or bands. Mm-hmm. And tonight, we are going to do Todd's top 10. Yep. Did you make your list? I did make my list. It is right here in front of me on my phone. And to the audience, I do not know any of the top 10, although I probably know three or four. Yeah, you can probably guess what some of them are, but some of them I don't think you will. Probably not. We did not talk about it, just as in the other episode. So I guess my question is, what is your top 10 favorite artists? (laughs) Well, you did yours in no particular order, and mine ended up kind of being in order. Uh, it was still really difficult, but... There's no way I could have done mine in order. I just, I don't... I couldn't have done that. Yeah, mine aren't quite, but if this had to be a top 10, I'd be comfortable with that. So I think I can stand by it, as is. Okay. All right. Are there any honorable mentions? There are two. Okay. Without any further ado, what's your top 10? Number 10, Trevor Rabin. Okay. He was, he was my favorite guitarist. He was the guitarist for Yes. He had a solo career, still continues to have a solo career, put out a new album just what, a month ago, if even that. Done a ton of soundtracks, but yeah, his, his playing style really uh, resonated with me. I loved his melodic sense and his voice, and his just, he's just write, he great, writes great songs. 90125 is a perfect album by Yes. So he was one of my top tens as well, which is kind of funny. Yeah. Not a surprise. I didn't think he would be one of your top tens, but... Yeah, I kind of went through people that made me want to play instruments or that made me want to play in a certain way, and Trevor was one of those for sure. Excellent. Did you get a chance to check out his new solo album that just came out a couple weeks ago? I've heard a couple songs, but I've not heard the whole thing yet. You should hear it. It's... uh... It is on Spotify, although I went out and bought the thing, or actually ordered it, because oh, good. I need to uh, to support him, I guess. Absolutely. Yeah, that's great. Maybe his wife will not have to take out the garbage if I buy that album. <laughs> you can drive by his house again and see if he's able to afford a nanny now. Right. Yeah. But anyway, it's. I think it's a very good album. So that was number 10. Number 9, Tears for Fears. Wow. It was a bit hard putting Tears for Fears this low, but you'll see why. Uh, Because there's some stiff competition. And I absolutely love Tears for Fears. They are one of my favorite bands and have been since the early days. Uh, Even though I was a rocker back in the day when they first came out. Always liked them. Always liked their songwriting. Always liked their voices. Roland Orzabal is an awesome guitar player. I even thought so back then. And Tears for Fears was on your list as well. Yeah, they were on my list. And I forgot to mention on my episode that I had the songs from the Big Chair LP mm. from Columbia House Records. <laughs> <laughs> it was one of the buy f- three for a penny or five yeah, or whatever. Yeah. I, I bought Trevor Rabin, Lionel Richie, <laughs> gosh, who else? Uh, Brian Adams, Reckless. Oh, nice. And I think In Excess, you could believe that. But the old album, not the one... 
It was Listen Like Thieves was the name of that album. What songs were on Pretty that? Funny. That was with uh, Junk, Junk, Junk. Yep. Okay. Yep. You're one of my kind. From Australia. From Australia. I think we talked about that. We did. And how many great bands are all from Australia? And our fact checker, our tapeheads fact checker is Australian. <laughs> so you like Tears for Fears. That's pretty cool. Oh, yeah. I knew you liked him, and I knew you liked, uh, you know, some of the albums, Sowing the Seeds. Seeds of Love. Elemental. Oh, yeah. Raul, were you a big fan of Raul? It's okay. It's got some songs I love, but it's not on my top favorite albums of theirs. Might actually be my least favorite of theirs. Really? Yeah. I love the album. What would be my least favorite of theirs? Probably songs from the big chair. Well, no, The Hurting. The Hurting, maybe? Yeah, I could see that being one of your least favorites. Because you prefer the more rock and tears for fears. I do, yeah. And that was when they were still electronic synth pop at their heart. Yes. All right, so number eight would be Elliot Smith. Oh, okay. He turned white like a saint. I'm tired of dancing on a pot of gold flake paint. He was a Portland musician, and he's still, there have been a number of documentaries about him. And he moved to L.A. in the early 2000s, but Portland still considers him a hometown boy. He's got a lot of deep roots here. Actually, I remember where I was the first time I heard one of his songs. It's called Waltz Number no. 2, XO. I heard it on the radio here first. I was like, wow, that's really beautiful. But I was at work, and I couldn't pay attention to who it was. So when I heard it the second time, I was in my friend's car in Seattle. <laughs> we were all going to Bumbershoot. My friend was driving, and there were three others of us in the car, and we had the radio on. We were going down to the U District before we went to Bumbershoot to go to a record store. And while we were driving around in the car, XO came on. Never gonna know you now, but I'm gonna love you I listened to the whole thing, and then as it was winding down and the DJ was about to come on, I was like, all right, you guys, hold on, hold on, hold on. This is the most beautiful song I've ever heard. I gotta, I gotta know who sings it. So they said, Elliot Smith, we went to the record store, and I went in and bought the CD right there. Just an unbelievable album. And his, his stuff is very dark and very, I mean, he's very honest about his struggles in life, about with depression and drug use, and also with triumph. You know, it's not all bleak. He's just an amazing songwriter, not like anybody else. They used one of his songs in the movie, Wes Anderson movie, Royal Tenenbaums. If you've ever seen that. A very crucial scene in that. You know, it's funny that you mentioned that you had to wait for the DJ to tell you who it was. Mm-hmm. That was ni- 1998. <laughs> yeah, back in the day, that's the only way we knew stuff. I yeah. mean... Sometimes we would hear stuff if we went into the record stores and they maybe had a cool guy that worked in there that mm-hmm. was playing off-the-wall stuff that you didn't hear on the radio. Or if you were in Tower Records in Seattle, that was always happening. Yes. But if they didn't say it on the radio, you didn't know who it was. You couldn't look it up on YouTube or or hold your phone up to the radio and <laughs> tell yeah. you who it is. Yeah. But no, we had to wait for it to be on the radio and hear who it was. 
you could call the station and ask the DJ, hey, what song is that? That's great. But they don't ever, they never answered the phone hardly. But I mean, I used to have to record songs off of the radio and I would wait for them to come on to record. Like I remember trying to wait to get the Ghostbusters song after I saw the movie. Yeah, I used to do that too. Do you still have any of those tapes floating around? Totally different now. I do not. I do not. That would have been cool, though. I wish I did. I don't either. Yeah, I get these old tapes from like 1983, 4, 5. I used to have a ton of those. I, I remember recording Thriller off of Rick D's Countdown. Yes, Rick D's. And Rick D's did some stupid sound effect thing at the end of Thriller, and that used to always be in my listening of Thriller before I bought the album. <laughs> was the stupid Rick D's crap at the end of it. And yeah, that's how I always learned it. But yeah, he always considered himself a comedian more than I think he actually was. <laughs> he thought he was funnier <laughs> than he was. Yeah. He had a novelty song called Eat My Shorts. Remember that? I don't remember that one, but I remember Disco Duck or. Disco Duck was a lot bigger hit. Eat My Shorts was pretty dumb. I'll have to find a link and play it. It's out there. It exists. I've heard it recently. Terrible. Elliot Smith? He died. Yes. Right? Yes. And he died, at, I mean, really at a young young age. And, you know, I'm, I'm not a big Elliot Smith fan. I mean, I like his stuff, but I've never really listened to it that that much. I'm surprised. You actually should. You would, you would like yeah, it. Yeah, I think I would like it. Especially the album XO, maybe Figure of Eight. My favorite is probably the one before XO, which is uh, Either Or. It's almost all acoustic. Very lo-fi, very cool. The songs are brilliant. All right, number seven. This one's kind of a two-part tie because <laughs> it goes back to my guitar days. And it's a combination of Van Halen and Ingve Malmsteen. The reason there's two of them in there because they both influenced my guitar playing a lot. Ingve influenced my playing more because I wanted to play like that. But Van Halen has way better songs, and they're way more fun. Ingve's songs are not that great for the most part. He's got some good ones for sure, but I mean, Van Halen is just way, way better, and they're more distinctive. And no, I couldn't play like Eddie Van Halen. I mean, he just plays too crazy and too, too distinctive. I just, I, I couldn't do that. I also didn't really want to because you know the position was already filled. <laughs> so yeah, there's already already somebody doing that, and so I was like, I want to do my own thing, you know, through this other, this other prism. I would have to put both of those guys as two of my big influences early, early on in playing guitar. Van Halen was also on my list. So Trevor Rabin, you saw live when he played the talk tour with Yes. Yes. Tears for Fears, you did. You never saw Tears for Fears. I've live. never seen Tears for Fears. Okay. And then Elliot Smith, you never saw. Never got right? to see him. No, he died. I didn't know him. I, when he was out doing his thing here in town, it was like mm, mid-90s to about 2000, 2001 when he moved away. And that was a little bit before I was just getting started doing my thing and playing professionally out and about. We have friends in common, and people have asked me if I knew him, and we're about the same age. But no, I didn't know him. And I never got to see him, which is a bummer, because he is one of my absolute favorites. And then Van Halen, you saw Van Halen, I saw yep. on the Balance tour yep. with me. Yep. 
Ingve, you did not see, but you did see the Yakima Ingve monster, right? <laughs> yes, I did. I borrowed his guitar. Ingve <laughs> actually played here. Oh my gosh, my brother and I went to see a show by a band called Y&T, kind of for fun. They, uh-huh. they played here about you know, a few years ago, and like a week after that, Ingve played in the same venue, and I didn't get to see him. Oh wow! Yeah, it was very fun. It's not even a big venue. It would have been great to see him there. I have a funny story about that, actually. The venue was very small, and I have a friend who was a bartender there. And usually when a band comes through town, say if a show starts at 8, the band will load in at like 5. They do sound check and stuff before the venue opens. So that's, that's what it's usually like, 3 o'clock in the afternoon, 5 o'clock maybe, is usually the call time. But when Ingve came through town, the call time was 9 in the morning or something like that. And my friend posted on Facebook, she's like, you're not going to believe this, everybody, but Ingve's coming to town and the call time was 9 o'clock in the morning for some reason. And then he showed up and he's trying to fit all his huge amps. He's got his huge wall of amps in the back of the stage. And he was throwing a hissy fit because the whole wall wouldn't fit. He had to, instead of 20 amps, maybe he could only use 18 or something. And he was throwing a fit and having a tantrum. (laughs) And you know what's funny about the, the wall of amps on almost everybody? They may only have two of the amps mic'd and even making noise. Actually, in, in a lot of them, they aren't even uh, speakers in them. They're just fake cabinets. Empty cabinets, yeah. 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 I actually asked her about that. She's a musician too, actually. And she asked the sound guys about that. And he said that there were a few that were actually live. So it wasn't none, like, or you know, it wasn't a hidden half stack behind the wall. It were, there were actually a couple of the amps that were live and some of the heads were live. So he's the exception in that sense. Hmm. But yeah, you're right. Like, <laughs> all the big shows are almost all fake fake wall of amps. So let me ask you, I talked about this on when I talked about Van Halen being one of my top 10. Uh, David Lee Roth or Sammy Hagar with you? Gotta go with David Lee Roth. Um, I love the Sammy stuff too, and that's who we saw live. But uh, yeah, Dave's way more fun, and he's just got the spirit of the band, for sure. They still talk about him being the number one lead man of all time for bands. Oh, wow, really? I didn't realize yeah. that. Yeah, oh yeah. Not the greatest singer. I would have thought it would be Robert Plant or something. Well, but see, Robert Plant was a good singer, Freddie Mercury was a good singer, but David Lee Roth commanded the stage. Oh, Freddie Mercury commanded the stage. Both of those guys commanded the stage. Yeah, but David Lee Roth would jump off of the risers. I mean, he would wear assless chaps. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, okay, well, if you want to watch a band own the crowd, watch Queen performing live at Live Aid. Yeah, that was good. Holy yep, crap, that's that. the best thing I've ever seen. And they go out there for, like, 15 minutes, and just like that, they own the whole crowd. And that's all Freddie. So, yeah, <laughs> I'd put him up against David Lee Roth anytime. Especially back then. You're next, number six. Number six. This might be a surprise to you. Ben Folds 5. Wow, that, that really surprises me. How familiar are you with him? Um, I have heard a lot of his... I mean, I, I listened to his album... Uh, I'm going to guess Whatever and Ever Amen. 
Is that the one that's got brick on it? Yeah. Okay, yes. I had that album. I listened to it a lot. I've listened to some of his solo stuff, which I know the, the Ben Folds 5 is that solo too. Pretty much, yeah. But I did listen to a lot of that album. I had that album. Mm-hmm. And I've listened to a bunch of his other stuff. The first one I ever heard was his first one. It came out in, I think, 95. Uh, that's one of my favorite albums of all time. And that is, that's my favorite of his. Uh, was his first one. Just called Ben Folds 5. But I heard the song Philosophy on there and I was just like oh thank god after years and years of grunge finally somebody came along that really knew how to play their instrument really knew how to write songs in the sort of craft style of writing songs he's an actual writer he would actually have songs with nice melodies and intelligent lyrics he's an amazing piano player He plays the piano like it's not a piano. Yeah. I mean, it's really weird. Yeah. He bangs on it with all his entire arm. He throws chairs at it and stuff from off stage. I mean, he uses it like an instrument. Yeah, it's yeah. It's pretty amazing. Oh, gosh, yeah. He's amazing. Yeah, and that totally changed something in me. I was like, okay, finally, this might be the end of grunge. Finally, there's light at the end of the tunnel. <laughs> ben Folds is leading the charge. Did you ever get to see him live? I've seen him twice. Oh, okay. Yeah. I saw him on the Whatever tour, and then I saw him on the tour after that, and actually had a guitar player playing with him, which was weird. Because that's the thing. It's, there's only three of them in the band, and the bass player kind of plays like a guitarist. He would use like a distortion pedal and stuff like that, and so he filled a lot of that guitar space. But when they had an actual guitar player, it was just like, why? You don't need this. <laughs> I've been fine without him. Hmm. Yeah, that totally changed it. Yeah, I've got uh, a handful of his albums and uh, yeah, seen him a couple times. Great. Nice. I'm surprised you're not more familiar with him. I think you'd love his first album. You know, it's kind of weird. I uh, sometimes I just I feel like I don't have time to listen to more people i know that sounds absolutely stupid and then i don't think about it because there's a lot of times when i'm at work and i'm working on something and i'm in the office and i throw on spotify and i i just i don't know what to listen to so i may go to one of my favorite bands or i may play like 90s music 80s music or whatever playlists yeah but i don't ever think oh i'll listen to ben folds five you know now that i see your list here I will remember to put in Elliot Smith, Ben Folds 5. I'll remember to do that because I do like them. I guess it's the same thing for me and Fountains of Wayne. Like, I know you love uh-huh. them and you've loved them for this whole time. And I, we've talked about it every once in a while. And I'm like, gosh, I really need to dive into that more because the stuff I've heard I really love. But I'm just not familiar enough with them. I haven't given them their due. And that's on me, you know. <laughs> but, yeah, it's, it's, it's always been meaning to get to them. Number five. All right, now we're getting down to the good stuff. Number five, Crowded House and Neil Finn. Okay, also on my list. Mm -hmm. 
Again, it was hard to put them only at number five because I'm such a huge fan of Neil and his songwriting. He's one of my two favorite songwriters. <laughs> so you'd think he might have been higher, but man, it's just such, such tough competition at this point. But yeah, Crowded House, love them. Seen them live once. Uh, saw Neil Finn solo once on the One All tour, like 2001. When he came out on stage, he hadn't been to Portland in a while, apparently, and everybody was really glad to see him. And when he walked up, he kind of stepped up to the mic and he started to say thank you. And we all just cheered like crazy even more. And he was actually a little bit overcome with the gratitude. And he kind of stepped back and just kind of smiled and kind of took it in. And it was just a really nice moment. And he just kind of acknowledged it. And he's like, thank you. That means a lot. And, you know, it's good to be back here again. It's been a while. So, yeah, that was very cool. Very cool moment. Oh, also, <laughs> he was about to start playing a song. He didn't say what it was. And he said, hey, is there any uh, anybody out there who's like a real confident piano player? And my friend who I took along with me, she's like elbowing me. And I'm like, eh, eh, eh. I wasn't quite confident enough. But And he also hadn't said what song he was going to do, and I didn't know what it was going to be. But I, so I just, I just kind of sat there and didn't say anything. But then they started playing Fall at Your Feet. And I was like, oh, man, if one of your favorite songwriters asks if you're a piano player, and you are one, and then he ends up playing one of your favorite songs, raise your hand, make your presence known. <laughs> That's what I learned. So did they have somebody play piano? Well, they have someone who was in the band. Lisa Germano was in the band, and she would play piano. She wasn't a great piano player, but she was mostly a harmony singer, but she could also do other things. Yeah, he just likes to do that because when he's in L.A., he'll play with somebody like John Bryan or Johnny Marr, the guitarist from the Smiths, formerly. He'll invite people up and just be like, oh, let's see what happens. You know, he's comfortable with that. And so I guess he must be comfortable enough, you know, to ask a random crowd in a random city, hey, is there anybody out there who's comfortable enough to do this and join me up here? So that's cool. Next time, if he asks that, I'm going to say yes. <laughs> yeah, because... Oh, my God. I mean, you could have said yes and screwed it up. And big, big deal. You know, but maybe you would have been fine, but now you're always going to worry about it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I should have done it. Big regret, yeah. All right, you're number four favorite band this one you're not going to see coming Jan Tiersen do you know who that is I do not know who that is Jan what Jan Tiersen he is French I first became aware of him from the movie Amelie um, he plays accordion he plays a number of other things he is a musical genius and when I saw Amelie I fell in love with the music fell in love with the movie fell in love with the music I was just like oh man I gotta learn how to do that so that's when I got my accordion and I learned a bunch of his songs, and that's what started me on this whole French thing that I'm still involved with today. Uh, I played a number of his songs in my solo accordion shows, along with, you know, all the old classics, like all the 20s, 30s, 40s, all the classic French stuff. And Jan Tiersen is the one who kind of got me started down that road. Amazing guy. I've seen him a couple times in concert, too, here in town. Yeah, unbelievable musician. Cool. Yeah, I've never heard of him. Well, it seems like he must have come up in conversation with us before, but, I mean, maybe not. Maybe not. 
I mean, we might have. Have you seen the that movie about uh, Weird Al Yankovic? Yes, I have. <laughs> that is great. Did you see the, like, the scene where he was wanting to become a accordion player and his dad was, or I can't remember what they, he was an accordion player and he was like doing a, accordion parties or something crazy. Yeah, the underground accordion parties, the secret. <laughs> yeah. I thought that movie was funny. Yeah, his dad didn't want him to get involved with that stuff because of the life of debauchery it would lead to. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so good. Yeah, that's a great movie. From Jan Tiersen, we are now at number, what, number three? Yep. Yeah, okay. Jellyfish slash John Bryan. And a lot of other people. Jellyfish is a deep well for both of us. I think you had them lower. Oh, no, yours, it was honorable mention for you. Yeah, they were honorable mention. And I love Jellyfish. It just wasn't in my top ten. I just couldn't put it in there. And mostly because there was only two albums, really. Well, like you used the band as a springboard if there was a solo artist too. Yes. These guys spawned so many awesome projects, whether it was John Bryan's solo, whether it was The Greys, whether it was Imperial Drag, whether it was Jason Faulkner. They were all, and there's probably others too, like, gosh. Licorice Quartet with the three LPs that you have. Licorice Quartet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, which is basically Jellyfish minus Andy Sturmer. Now, well, hold on. Where's, how's John Bryan come into this? Is it just from the Greys? No, he was on, uh, he played on Spilt Milk as a session guy. Oh, okay. I didn't know that. He plays guitar on a few things. Guitar? Yeah. Wow, okay. Well, they already had the keyboard player, you know? They didn't have a guitarist, really. So they just called a bunch of people. Actually, the guy from Wilco plays on there, too. Jay uh, Farrar, before he quit Wilco. Huh. They had all kinds of people. Lyle Workman does most of it, but yeah, John Bryan's on there. So that's how I knew who John was. And then he kept popping up like with all these other projects. And he's my favorite musician, probably my biggest influence when I started getting into recording and production and all that. One thing that they recommend you do when you first start recording and production is to find a song you like and try to recreate it. And the song that I did when I was learning how to do it, I'd recreated Save Me by Amy Mann. Save me. And I borrowed a friend's accordion, because there's accordion all over that song. And I tried to make all the drum parts sound right and make the bass parts sound right and the guitars and stuff. And John Bryan produced that. Save me. Talk about a master class. I mean, oh my gosh. From him, I learned that you can play all these instruments and if you want to make a song beautiful you can play them in this certain way if you want to make the song beautiful but with an edge of sarcasm or nastiness you can play it in this other certain way if you just want to make it pure rockin with a little bit of beauty <laughs> you could do it in this other certain way and i learned all that stuff from him i kind of knew it from playing things before but i really consciously learned it and applied it from listening to john and we've seen him live didn't you go to see him live in Bummershoot? No, I did not. Oh, okay. Well, there was a handful of us, and we went to go see him. He did basically his Largo set, the kind of thing where he has all the instruments set up on stage, and he has a little recording thingy, and he'll bang out a thing on the drums, and he'll jump over the piano and bang something out on that, and he'll play the bass over that. And he's always jumping around on stage, and he'll come up to the front and sing over it all, and he'll build up the song as he goes. It's amazing. So my dumb idea is... Uh... 
I played uh, Seven Hundred Girls like uh, Thelonious Monk recently. So this will be Round Midnight played by Big Star. And his special guest at that show that we didn't know was going to be showing up was uh, Fiona Apple. Got to see her too. Another thing about Jellyfish is uh, in the music world, you've got two drummers that stand up and sing, or uh, stand up while they play. Mm -hmm. That's Andy Sturmer and Ricky Rocket, and I think Ricky Rocket's a big piece of crap. Ricky Rocket does too. I didn't know that. Well, he's Van Gogh's ear that grew. So oh, that's true. <laughs> Actually, I, I shouldn't say he's a piece of crap. I just don't like his playing. I don't know him personally. He might be the nicest guy in yeah, the world. He's probably a fine human being. <laughs> As we say, cracking up laughing. But yeah, Jellyfish. The other cool thing about them is their album Spilt Milk. I would say is a perfect album. Just the way it's constructed. It's got the little string thing, and it's almost like you're going into a dream, and then it comes into joining a fan club and all it goes through the whole series of songs and then it ends with the outro and it does this big lush orchestral thing and then it ends back with the same note that it starts. So it, it's just full circle. Oh, that's right. Yeah, it's like a, an album that could be in a circle. Yeah. Just very well, well constructed, and the songs are all catchy and brilliant. The lyrics are brilliant. The musicianship is brilliant. Oh, it's just it's perfect. And I actually think, I was going to mention this uh, with the Ben Folds thing. His first album is constructed in a similar way to Spilled Milk, I think. I don't know if that was intentional. Starts out with a rocker, then it goes to a slow one, and then there's even a slow waltz near the end. There's a polka, a fast polka kind of song like there is on Spilled Milk. And then it ends with a slow one, and then it's out. Hmm. Just really well constructed and really well written. Just, Just perfect. Both of those are perfect, which is why they're on my list. All right. Okay, so here is going to be another surprise. Oh, so you don't want me to guess then? Because if it's a surprise, I can't guess. I can't guess if it's a surprise. No, okay. So there are two left on the list, plus honorable mentions. Do you want to try to guess? <laughs> if you say that's going to be a surprise, I... This one's going to be a surprise. All right, Foreigner. No. I'm just kidding. Number, number two. <laughs> yeah, when in doubt, guess Foreigner. <laughs> All right, what is your number two? Number two. The Beatles. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> that was my number one. It would be my number one, but you'll see why it's not. They are my favorite band. I've read so many books. I've had so many CDs, records, cassettes, you name it. I know what your number one is. I bet you don't. I bet I do. Okay, well, we'll see. We have both been huge Beatles fans for pretty much our whole lives. <laughs> you and I. 
Like they're they're my biggest influence as far as like playing in a band and how to play guitar. That's what got me out of playing the heavy metal. It was like, oh, there's a there's a different way to do this, and it's just <laughs> tasteful and melodic. Okay, I get it. <laughs> Here's how to do it. George Harrison's doing it. Andy Summers is doing it. That's another band that is not on my list at all, The Police, and that was hard to leave them off because I love The Police. Yeah, I mean, there's, there, I probably would have a top 30 that yeah. I really like, <laughs> yeah. and you, I, you just can't, you can't do that. But, you know, over, over our lives, this, you know, is, is our, our top 10, mm-hmm. so. Yeah. The Beatles, great band. I mean, I, I love Paul McCartney stuff. I love John Lennon stuff for the most part. I love George Harrison stuff. Me too. I even love me some Ringo Starr, you're 16, you're beautiful, and you're mine. We talked about that on the 17 episode. The two guys from Jellyfish played all over Ringo's album, one of his albums really? from the early 90s, yeah. They were riding their wave of success, and people would call them to do stuff, and they'd do it for the most part, especially if it's somebody like Ringo, who's one of their huge, they're huge fans of Ringo, so of course they're going to say yes. Okay, so let's do your honorable mentions, and I am going to guess what your number one is after your honorable mentions. All right, honorable mention number one, Toy Matinee. So this is the ballad of Jenny Ledge. I remember where I was when I heard that song, Ballad of Jenny Ledge, for the first time. I was riding around in my car, going between work and school, and it came on the radio, and I was just like, wow, that's the best thing I've ever heard. I had to go to the record store right away and go buy it. Just great, great album. Again, it's perfect. I think it's a perfect album. And I think you mentioned Toy Matinee as a gateway into Kevin Gilbert. Yes. And I like Kevin Gilbert too, but I prefer Toy Matinee on their own, kind of as almost like a super group because uh, of Patrick Leonard and his, uh, I mean, they just make a great writing team. And then the band members being Tim Pierce and Guy Pratt. Yeah, Guy Pratt was a bass player for Pink Floyd for many years and... And uh, David Gilmore too. Yeah, Dream yeah. Team. So yeah, I just love love that album, and then the songwriting is genius. So let me mention something real quick to our listeners. They don't know this, but the Tuesday Night Music Club, Kevin Gilbert was in this Tuesday Night Music Club where they just got together and played music and kind of wrote music. And then Cheryl Crow, who was Kevin Gilbert's girlfriend, she kind of took a bunch of those songs and made an album and got famous for it and really, really ticked off a lot of those guys in the Tuesday Music Club. And eventually, I mean, Kevin Gilbert, who probably had depression problems in the first place, but... She was a keyboardist in his band, and he was just kind of helping her in this Tuesday Night Music Club, and she took these songs and didn't thank him for it when she won a Grammy and all this stuff. Well, he wasn't alive at that point, right? Oh, he was absolutely alive. Was yeah. he still alive? Okay, yeah. I thought he had died, and that's when she took all the tapes and was like, this Tuesday Night Music Club is mine. No, no, it's, okay. it's pretty sad. Anyway, that's that album, and then her next album, of course, wasn't as good as that, but... Uh, that first one. Yeah, I've almost got Tuesday Night Music Club a couple times just because I don't love some of the songs, but it just kind of as a Kevin Gilbert kind of completist kind of thing. 
it'd be good to have that because he did write a lot of the songs. Oh, gosh, almost forgot about this. When I was recording with Jacob Ray, uh, the guitarist's name was Sergio. So Sergio and Jake and I were driving around, and we had picked up Sergio's friend, Michelle. So we're riding around in the car, making small talk, getting ready to go to dinner, you know, like you do. And Michelle was from L.A., and we're like, oh, you're a musician too, right? And she's like, yeah, but I have a day job too, and I'm a studio manager and like booking manager for a couple people. And we were like, oh, really, who? One of them was Marcus Miller, the bass player. We were like, wow, man, amazing. Okay, that's cool. And the other person she worked for was Patrick Leonard, who's the wow. keyboard player for Toy Matinee. And I was like, whoa, you mean Toy Matinee, Patrick Leonard? She turned around. And she's like, he is going to be so glad to know that you said that. I'm like, please tell him how important this album was and how great me and my friends think it is. And we still listen to it all the time. And please, we would love him to know that. And tell him third matinee, eh, not so much. That's okay. <laughs> but toy matinee, rules. <laughs> Okay, your second honorable mention. That would be the Beach Boys and Brian Wilson. Wow, okay. I came along pretty late to them. It was actually after I had already started recording and producing and getting into all that stuff. And it kept coming up. All my favorite people were really influenced by pet sounds and all that. And I was like, all right, I'm going to have to give this a try. I was starting to work with my friend Kristen on her album. And we were hanging out at her parents one night. And they, her parents are old hippies. They moved to San Francisco for the summer of love. And they're all into all this kind of music. And I was telling him, like, man, I really feel like I need to get into pet sounds. Because I've missed the boat on that for too long. Because... You know, Beach Boys, I could care less about for the most part. Their surfing stuff sucks. And every once in a while, there'd be a good song like In My Room or something like that. But Pet Sounds is kind of on its own, you know, pinnacle level. And I feel like I need to really explore that. Mm -hmm. And he's like, oh, man. <laughs> it makes me emotional thinking about it. He goes, oh, man, I envy you. You're going into that album wide open. And it's such a transformative album. And the subject matter of it all, it's all about kind of somebody finding themselves and going through all these processes of change and it's just you're going into that wide open and it's going to totally change your life and he was right i mean it did it's just unbelievable that album was really brian wilson just stepping away from everybody else yeah. and he had the wrecking crew come in and mm -hmm. play the instruments on it and it was his own writing and he had the guys come in and sing on it but they didn't play any instruments really on no, it. no they didn't it's a pretty incredible album there is a youtube series called behind the sounds and it's each song on pet sounds in depth with stock footage of them and like you get to hear the songs coming together as brian's like teaching all the instrumentalists their parts and you know they're trying things a different way like oh that organ should be a little different or you know there's two accordions on this song can you make the lower accordion a little louder kind of thing like he's just such a genius and heard it in such detail and just it was all in his head and he just had to translate it all out to these people 
just amazing. So I'll post a link to that. But yeah, behind the sounds, there's a lot of great moments in that behind the scenes footage. I'm all set. One, two, three, Okay, I am going to guess what your number one is. Do you want to do a quick recap here? Just real fast. Sure, yeah, go ahead. Number 10, Trevor Rabin. Number nine, Tears for Fears. Number eight, Elliot Smith. Number seven, Van Halen and Yngwie Malmsteen. Number six, Ben Folds Five. Number five, Crowded House. Number four, Jan Tiersen. Number three, Jellyfish slash John Bryan and all the associated bands number two the beatles and honorable mentions toy matinee and beach boys so knowing all that who do you think's my number one i'm gonna guess two different artists for your number one okay number one bach well done you got it <laughs> did i get it you did <laughs> excellent yeah well done so it was either that or amy mann Amy Mann kind of fit in with the John Bryan thing because they were dating okay. and he produced her. So that's, I should have mentioned that. And she's my other favorite. I got your number one right. You did, yeah. Are you surprised? No, actually I'm not. I'm, I'm well done. Because I mean, you don't, you rarely ever talk about them to me. Yeah, well, if Beatles wasn't number one, there's only one thing that's deeper in my life and that's Bach. Between growing up playing piano and learning how to play all that stuff and playing the organ and a little bit. And then playing the cello later and learning playing the cello suites, a couple of them. I mean, I didn't even listen to rock music until I was about 10 years old, and it was all classical. And Bach was number one then, so he had to be number one for this. And it was kind of hard not making it the Beatles, but I mean, I guess it could be anybody. And then once Jan Tiersen was on the list too, it's like, all right, well, he changed my life too. <laughs> Bach is just, that's DNA level. Excellent. Yeah, I didn't have any classical on mine because I guess, I mean, I like Mozart a lot, mm-hmm. but certainly not in my top 10 of going to listen to stuff. So Yeah, well done. You called it. What is that? Was it the Boston cathedral organ you i mean i remember you playing me a tape years ago of this one particular organ where they were doing bach do you remember what i'm talking about well it's gotta be my favorite recording is this guy named e power biggs and it's in one of the museums in harvard university and they have an organ in there there you go so yeah that was it's gotta be that one Now, do they, have they ever put that out on digital? Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's, I'm sure it's on Spotify. I can find it easily enough. Um, put a link to that. And also, but there are a few different versions of that stuff. That's It's cool to hear some different versions. Like if you're familiar with, with like one person's style, it's cool to listen to somebody like Albert Schweitzer, who's like a missionary, and he plays Bach very slowly and deliberately. And he sounds completely different from everybody else. And it's kind of cool to hear that as like a juxtaposition.
And you can really hear the structure of the pieces when you play it really slow. <laughs> but yeah, E-Power Pigs, I think, is probably the one who is like the master, the Zen master of playing Bach. We know you love some batch. Yes. He plays a, a version like there's a certain cathedral in Germany that has four separate organs. It's just massive cathedral, and in each corner of it is a different organ. <laughs> so you can use either one separately. Or there's a big master keyboard in the middle of the room, in the middle of the cathedral, and you can hit the button and you can play all of the all four organs at the same time. Oh, it's the wow. most so it's like a surround sound yes. or quadraphonic. There is actually a recording of that. There are people who collect, you know, 5.1 surround versions of these, and that exists. And I, I have a copy of it, but I, my system isn't set up for 5.1. But man, I heard it at my friend's house. He's the one who downloaded it for me. And it is the most unreal thing you've ever heard. It's like, hmm. yeah, you're controlling four huge separate instruments. And then when you play like the end, the big ending chords, like at the end of Toccata and Fugue and D minor, just echoes to the whole place. And it makes the walls shake. And my friend has speakers that are like five feet tall. And it's just, it's like you're in the cathedral. It's just unbelievable. I don't know how I could post a link to that. But certainly I can post a link to the album that it's from. And then if you're someone who is into finding that kind of stuff on your own, then you can look it up. Well, awesome. This is fun doing this. Yeah. So we got to hear your top 10 last episode, my top 10. Go to tapeheadspod.com and leave your top 10. I'd like to hear what some of our listeners really enjoy because they're obviously going to be different. Everybody, Everybody likes different artists. Yeah. And even there's a lot of crossover between ours, but ours are very different. Yeah, we had one, two, three, four, five, six, six artists the same, including the honorable mentions. Yeah, I wasn't surprised about that. I'm surprised the police wasn't on there for you, I guess. I know, and it was really hard not to have them on. It was either kind of them or Tears for Fears. I know, it's, it's a hard thing to do. <laughs> I mean, I couldn't pick between those. I couldn't pick between them. All right, cool. So, like I said, go to tapeheadspod.com and leave us a list of your favorite artists and take a listen to my episode uh, about my favorite artists. That's the last episode that we did before this one. Yep. And uh, we have, I think, 24 or 25 episodes before that. I already mentioned some of the bands that we talk about. Mm -hmm. We do a three-part series on heavy metal, which is, is great. Uh, plus all the other bands I talked about tonight. So. Yeah, Millie Vanilli, too, also excellent. That one was really fun. Yeah. Well, thanks for joining us. Thanks for doing this tonight, Todd. I appreciate it. Yeah, that was really I fun. I hope it was fun for you. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, that's not the stuff I sort of go around thinking about all the time. So, yeah, <laughs> it's good to cool. focus a little bit, get back to our roots. Awesome. All right, well, we will catch you guys next time. Thanks so much. See you next time. <laughs>